Welcome to Our Walk Together. This is the place where we have a chance to listen and to learn from each other as we walk. My name is Paul Long, and I will be your host, but also a fellow traveler. I'm glad you're able to join me today as a companion on Our Walk Together. We are companions on the journey, breaking bread and sharing life, and in the long Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Our Walk Together. Um, glad you decided to take some time and join us today. Um, I think you'll enjoy this episode of Our Walk Together. Um, in this episode, um, we're going to be exploring the life of, of a person who's very, very important to all Franciscans, and that is the life of St. Clair of Assisi. And my guest today is Francine Gikau, and Francine has been uh, professed in the Secular Franciscan Order since 1984 and has held many positions in the national, local, regional uh, uh, of, the of the order, excuse me, and, and now is with the National Formation Commission. Um, so for those of you who don't know, like I said, when on my last minute, that's a big deal to be on that, on that commission of working on formation for all of the secular Franciscans. Her focus throughout her Franciscan life has been on formation and on the lifelong spiritual journey of forming secular Franciscans. Francis, Francine has a certificate in spiritual direction from Cardinal Stratich University and a certificate from the Institute of Contemporary Franciscan Living. She writes the Franciscan Living page for the national newsletter, Tau USA, and she wrote the chapter on St. Clair for the Formation Manual and has had two articles in The Word Among Us. In addition to all of this, Francine is a retired community health nurse. She's been married for 46 years, has two children and two grandchildren. And so I'm happy to introduce you to and to welcome Francine. How are you today? Very good. Did you like all that? <laughs> um, that was very complete. I would have skipped a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to let our listeners know who you actually are and everything, you know. So um, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself and what what keeps you going. And, you know, what kind of, maybe a, a good way to start just to give you a, a starting jumping off point. Tell us how you got involved with the Secular Franciscans. Ah, who got <laughs> um, I didn't know a single person who was a secular Franciscan. Uh, it was around the 800th and Jubilee of St. Francis' death. Um, I kept on seeing all these articles popping up and cropping up in front of me about this secular order um, for women who were, and men who were married and single and living in the world. I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting concept. I never really, you know, knew about it. So um, then I kept 
looking for something to deepen my spiritual life. And with that, um, I started looking around. I was in a bookstore one time and I found the old white catechism for the secular Franciscans and it included our rule of life. So I bought it. I was like, okay. I opened it up and I went, whoa, this is too much for me. So I closed it and shelved (laughs) it. I didn't throw the book out, but I shelved it. So I kept on looking and searching for something more and more. I mean, I had been active in my church, teaching religious ed, um, Eucharistic minister, you know, all kinds of activities. But I wanted a spiritual grounding. And so I opened up this book and I started saying, well, I don't need a group. I don't need to go to these fraternity meetings. I'm going to do this on my own. So I tried it. And of course, I fell flat on my face. (laughs) So I said, okay, God, apparently you want me to join this group, but I don't know these people. You know, I have never met a secular Franciscan in my life. And this was the days before we had a national fraternity, a regional fraternity. A lot of the fraternities were based with um, the provinces of the friars, and they were scattered all over the place. Hmm, how to find them? That was my question. So there wasn't the internet that was available in 1984, or I should say 1982 is when I started. Um, And so then I um, looked around and by that time I knew the Tau Cross and I saw two biological sisters um, wearing a lapel pin. And I said, are you secular Franciscans? And they said, yeah, we are. And I said, well, I'm sort of interested in, can you tell me about it? And they were like, well, we're old and you're young and the seminary is closing and we're inactivating our fraternity. I was like, okay, (laughs) dead end, another dead end. So I'm like, God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to put it in my face. And he did in the local diocesan newspaper. um, There was a meeting notice um, on a Tuesday night and I called, there was no phone number. It just said at this church on Tuesday night at seven o'clock. So I called the parish and I got the pastor and he said, oh, you need Don Halloran. He can give you all the information. I don't have his phone number. Just look him up in the phone book and he'll help you out. So I was like, okay. So, yep, I looked Don Halloran up in the phone book and I called him up. He was homesick that day. And I said, well, I'm sort of interested. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? He said, it's really hard to explain. Just come to the meeting. Just introduce yourself. So I did. I went and I did. And being the scattered, seraphic, confused Franciscans that we are, um, (laughs) they never bothered to to take my name or phone number or address. (laughs) But they... They welcomed me in and I loved, um, they broke up into small groups and everyone went around saying what was the meaning of God in their lives. 
And everyone went on and on and on, except for the one woman. And she was quite elderly, little tiny peanut of a lady. And she said one word, and she said intimacy. And I, it, that stopped me in the tracks. And I was like, wow, I want to be like her. I do. <laughs> so that was the beginning of my journey. Eventually, I kept showing up, and they did get my name and phone number and things like that. I started um, initial formation. So It's amazing to me how many um, folks in Secular Franciscans kind of share that same sort of story of trying to find information. Um, I think it's one of the hardest things. And I, 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 I talked with others about it. It's almost like we're, we're hidden someplace and, you know, uh, some kind of a secret thing, but it's really not. And um, you know, for though, anybody who's listening, I'm just going to inject this right now. If you are interested as we go along here, if you are interested in the secular Franciscans, there is something that I didn't even know about till a couple of weeks ago. And that is, there is a phone number, which is 1-800-FRANCIS. And people there can help you to get in touch with your local people and, and all that. So, you know, remember that 1-800-FRANCIS, if you end up being interested in what we're talking about. Um, sometimes God works in strange ways. Uh, so, Francie, tell me, I know that you're one of the things you are, are especially uh, attuned to is the life of St. Clair. So mm -hmm. let's start with that. Who is St. Clair? Well, let's start where, where people usually think about St. Clair. They know that St. Clair was um, living at the same time of Francis, and she was a Franciscan and a poor Claire. And you saw her statues with perhaps um, with holding a ciborium or um, with a, um, a lily showing her virginity or a little box that looks like a light. Now, ciboriums, I hate to tell you, were not available then <laughs> in the <laughs> 13th century. Um, the Eucharist was in a little box. Okay, and that's what um, when she um, saved Assisi from the attack from the Saracens, that's what she mm. had, not a ciborium <laughs> to hold up. Um, and most people are familiar with the brown robes of the poor Claire sisters and uh, a simple rope and sandals, perhaps. Nowadays, a lot of the um, monasteries have different. Uh, slightly different modifications because they're all independent. Um, they, some of them have floor length lobes, some of them shorter dresses. Um, some wear veils, some wear don't, don't wear veils. But, poor, but being a woman of medieval times, um, St. Clair wore a very simple tunic um, and she was tonsured, which meant that her hair was cut off and she wore a veil. Um, and her greatest love was what she called the privilege of poverty, okay? She didn't want to own anything or have anything of her own, only by what was given for God, by God, to meet her and her sister's needs. And she fought long and hard for this privilege of poverty because the institutional church wanted to care for the, the nuns and the sisters, you know. Uh, there was a little um, feeling 
chivalry of protecting these nuns and monasteries at the time had endowments and dowries and were given land and orchards for their sustenance. And, and some of them were, were, came from royal families. And they even brought their servants into monasteries to, to serve them. Um, St. Clair didn't want any of that. She wanted the simple lifestyle depending only on God's beneficence. So, you know, that was one of the things that attracted to her, to me, to her. And also she was such a very strong woman when you look at it. Um, here she was born a noble woman and she stripped herself of any of her dowry, any of her riches and left penniless from her, escaped, I should say, escaped from her, her parental home to join with Francis. And she was left without titles, without any of the trappings that she had grown up with, with a very poor lifestyle. Okay, and so um, she had to be a very strong woman. And she was adamant about the way her life would be lived in monastery. Um, and she was the first woman to write a way of life or rule for a Franciscan mm -hmm. order for any at the time. So she was groundbreaking. Um, she didn't have any uh, separation between her sisters. You know, um, they all worked and they all prayed. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them didn't serve others. Right. She thought that the uh, position of the abbess was to serve. And she would be the servant of the rest of the, of the rest of the sisters. So I just thought, wow, she was some woman, and she's so unrecognized in her own right. And her spiritual um, teachings are hidden gems. You talk about the Franciscan order, third secular order being a, a hidden gem. Yes, Saint Claire of Assisi's way of of contemplation is another hidden gem so so what what was the relationship between her and francis and how did they work together or whatever uh, well francis was a little older than um claire um he was about 11 or 12, depending see the history is are not sure of the age right. of birth of either of them um, he was either 11 or 12 years older than the St. Clair of Assisi. Um, and he, she heard him preach and just got enraptured with what he was talking about and, and um, his way of life. And so she was a contemporary of his. Many people consider her as a co-foundress of the Franciscan movement, because even after Francis's death, um, now she outlived him significantly long. It was 27 years that she outlived Francis. So the brothers would come and ask for her advice. Um, Francis also asked for his advice at one point in her advice. At one time, he was debating whether he should remain being um, in the world, 
and preaching, mm-hmm. um, or whether he should retire and be contemplative. And so he went to St. Clair and an, another brother who he thought was spiritually um, mature. And he asked, and St. Clair brought it to prayer. And the answer definitively was that St. Francis was to remain in the world to evangelize and rebuild the church. Hmm. Um, so he, Francis counted on Claire, um, <laughs> but there wasn't a lot of um, times when he could actually visit her. And sometimes he held back from visiting her. Um, maybe, I don't know why, but maybe because he might find that it was, um, it would take his focus away from perhaps um, prayer, um, you know, but anyway, in, in yeah. any, it, it was a very um, fruitful experience between both of them. Um, so. And I, I know just in the same vein that um, the story is that Claire was the one who actually took care of Francis at the very end of his life. Um, that's part of a story that I was, hearing about any truth to that well i think um the brothers were there and lady jacoby de tondi um Mm -hmm. who was they think she was a secular franciscan wasn't sure but she came and brought some of his favorite foods near the end of his life Mm. um he asked the brothers to um notify her but she was already on her way. Um, France, Claire and the sisters were able to view uh, Francis's body because they brought them, they brought his body past the windows of um, Mm -hmm. San Damiano where they were staying. So Claire, I believe did not literally actually physically take care of uh, Francis. Um, So, we, we, we talk about, um, about Claire and we talk about uh, contemporarily the, um, the, her, the sisters. Um, and that was not their original name, though, was it? They're, they originally weren't the poor Claires no. that we refer to today. No, no. Well, what was? Well, they were called um, the Damianites or, or um, the Sisters of St. Damiano, um, where mm-hmm. they were living um, for quite a long time, um, most of her life, St. Clair were, was living in a modified Benedictine rule. Okay. Um, when Francis um, accepted her into, as a foundress of, of the female branch um, of the order, he um, to protect her, I think, from his, her family coming after her, um, he installed her in uh, a Benedictine monastery that had what was called papal privilege. So if you attack that monastery, you'd be excommunicated. Mm. So her uncles came and tried to convince her to leave, but they could not bodily force her to. Um, her sister... Um, Katerina, also by the name of Agnes, was not so fortunate. 
they actually started dragging her out um, oh, wow. physically, but they were not in that monastery at that time. Um, so, you know, the family was very irate with Claire leaving. I mean, this was their future. They wanted to marry her to someone who was good to, to, um, to strengthen the family ties um, financially and with royalty um, and to almost barter her, um, mm. you know, as part of the family um, jewels kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and she would have none of it. Yeah. So they were very, very upset with her. Um, but most of the life, until two days before um, St. Clair died, they lived under a modified Benedictine rule. Most of mm. the Benedictine rule, because her monastery um, and very few others actually were able to, to live by the uh, privilege of poverty, is what it was called. Mm. Um, because they just, the, the cardinal at the time just felt that just like Francis, you can't live like that. You have right. to have some way to, to provide for <laughs> yourself, not just God, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, so it took her life um, until two years before her death to, to actually get the privilege of poverty for her sisters wow. and actually have her rule of life, her way of life accepted. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, sometimes we we make a mistake of not realizing the culture that many of the people that you know we call saints today came from. Um, and the, the the story sounds sometimes the story sounds so strange to us because we just don't quite understand where they were coming from. You know the whole thing with Claire and and you know leaving her family, what that was like, and and even the protection that that the sisters had to have because uh, and at that time it was what men did. You protected the ladies. You didn't, you know, they couldn't be on their own. You always had somebody with you. Um, so I think we need to learn sometimes what, what, what life was like in that particular time. Um, now, Claire was, was she a member of the nobility of? Minor nobility. Yeah. Minor nobility. Yeah. Okay. Um, she was the daughter of Ortolana and Favarone Afreduccio, um, mm -hmm. of the very powerful Afreduccio family. Um, so that's why they were so um, upset with her to leave it all behind. <laughs> um, the other thing about monasteries at the time is that, um, and why, at, keep in mind that the reason why. Um, monasteries had such strong um, rules for enclosure um, was that if you live outside the walls of the city, you would be open for attack. So monasteries mm. have been, had been known to be attacked by people, um, raided, um, and the nuns raped. So um, it was a pretty lawless society outside the city walls mm -hmm. when you mm -hmm. when you think of it. Um, and that's why some of these protections were were built in. And also at that time, um, canon law did not allow for the active ministry of the sisterhoods that we have today. If you wanted to be a, a nun or a, a religious with vows, it had to be in a monastery in an enclosure. 
Sometimes it seems we haven't gotten a lot farther than that in present society, but that's a whole other topic. Um, so so um, how would you, if, if you had to, um, give us maybe just a little synopsis of what was the basic teaching that, that Claire had? What was, what was her basic uh, message? I suppose it's a good way to say it. Well, she identified a way of prayer that all of her sisters, whether they were literate or not literate, could use in the monastery. Um, and it's pretty simple, but it is pretty deep when you get into it. There's four main areas. Um, first is to gaze. And this gazing is a very loving gaze um, and to um, gaze with empathy to what you are seeing. Um, and this is looking at a statue, looking at the favorite uh, gazing that uh, Claire loved doing was on the crucified Christ. Um, mm -hmm. She really emphasized the crucified. Um, and her writings are very flowery, very medieval, talks mm -hmm. a lot about her spousal relationship. Um, and I'll give you a sense of that in a little bit. Sure. So the first section is gazing so you enter into what you're seeing with your heart okay and also claire gazes uh uses gazing with a mirror and the mirror image in medieval times uh, is not what the mirror that we have now um, a medieval mirror was sort of polished metal um, it was wavy it wasn't flat it was it was scratched it had pits it was um, not very clear to see, but she thought that the mirror was Christ, and you look into the mirror of mm. Christ, and you and He looks back at you. So there's reflection there, um, and you have to t attend mm. to it. Um, and she said that the border of the mirror was the poverty of Him who was placed in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then reflect on the surface of the mirror, the holy humility that Christ had, and then blessed poverty. And she said, contemplate the depths of the same mirror, the ineffable charity, love that he chose to suffer on the tree of the cross for us. And to die there, a most shameful death. Then she goes into considering and it flows right into considering, considering what Christ has done, died for, did for us. Um, and not to rush through this, but to really spend time and sit with it. Um, you can attend to what re is occurring. And she wants you to respond and remember what's happening there, um, to remember and to keep it, savor it. And then you go into contemplate, where you spend time just in the presence of God, without words, with your heart touching his. And she said, as you further contemplate his ineffable delight, riches and perpetual honors, and sighing, may you cry out to the great desire and love of your heart. And then finally... As you come out of the contemplative part, you emerge 
into a desire to imitate him and to remember what has occurred during this prayer time and resolve to act as Jesus did so you can taste the hidden sweetness from the beginning God himself has reserved for his lovers. Hmm. So a lot of this information that we have about her way of contemplation um, was found in four letters of to Agnes of Prague, which is a different Agnes that um, hmm. from her sister. But Agnes of Prague was an, again another noble woman in Prague who heard of St. Clair and her way of life in the monasteries and wanted to start a monastery um, in the way of St. Clair. So it was catching. Yes, catch, catching on, caught on, and uh, became, became rather large. Um, so uh, let me let me just jump a little bit just to contemporary times because uh, I know that you have you have you wrote in uh, the section in formation. By the way, for those who don't understand what formation is, formation is the process that fr secular Franciscans go through. Um, in, in order to learn what the rule is, how it affects our lives, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but you, you wrote the section of, uh, information about St. Clair. Um, so what does St. Clair have to say to us today? And how does that fit into the formation of a secular Franciscan? Well, formation is ongoing. As a secular Franciscan, your formation never ends. You're completely formed and reformed your whole life okay. because mm -hmm. our middle name is conversion. Right. We're brothers and sisters of penance and the original meaning is metanoia or conversion. So what Claire speaks to me is her ability to stand fast in um, everything that was going around her at the time. You know, she strove so hard for the privilege of poverty and the way of life that her poor Claire sisters now enjoy. Um, and it was such a struggle because she was up against all of medieval society and what, what they thought of women and what she, her role was supposed to be. Um, to write a rule of life as a woman was unheard of. To push forward against um, cardinals and the Pope for the right to be, have a privilege of poverty um, within the church. I mean, there was no doubt that, that Claire and Francis both wanted to remain within the church. Um, but she definitely um, strove for what she knew in her hearts that God wanted, that visible sign toward to the world that, yeah, God will take care of you. He will meet your needs. Mm. And you can let everything else drop along the by side, by way. Mm. So... And that's that's a, that kind of idea is difficult today. Um, little different society and everything besides that, but um, 
a little different um, way of looking at quote unquote poverty. I think our words are the words that we use today are a little different in innuendo, I guess, anyways, than than they were with Claire um, and Francis as well. Uh, but so how how would you say uh, St. Clair has influenced both I mean, influenced both the Franciscans of her time and you know um, for anybody again who, who's unfamiliar, um, the poor Clares, the sisters of, of St. Clair are the second order that Francis established. Um, and the, the, the um, secular Franciscans after that are the third order. So those are three orders to St. Francis. But what, what um, was her influence over both her time then, her time now, and even the influence of her sisters? Well, I mean, she has the, what is it called? The feminine expression of the Franciscan charism um, and the cloistered, enclosed expression of the Franciscan charism. Um, If you ever go to a Port Clare monastery now, you'll see women who are so joyful. It's incredible. And yet they have nothing (laughs) and they wait. (laughs) for um, God to meet their needs. We have a poor Claire monastery uh, where I live and um, their stove broke down. They had no money to do, to do it. Um, then the money dropped out into a, a donation from oh, wow. someone who had died and was given to them. And whoops, okay, now they had money to buy, you know, a stove, but they had this big old cast iron stove from the dark ages oh, wow. <laughs> and it needed to be removed and it needed to be having, you know, plumbing in it for gas and stuff. Right. Well, lo and behold, people materialized and dra- dragged that thing out of the monastery, you know, oh, wow. and whoop, okay, God took care of it. Um, and I think to me, it means that we, as secular Franciscans, we talk about um, poverty in a different way as detachment, detachment of material things, you know, because St. Um, Elizabeth of Hungary was a queen, you know, St. Louis of, of um, France was a king, but they didn't consider what they owned their own. You know, they considered it was God's, okay? And whatever mm-hmm. they have been given has been given to them freely as a gift to give back to others. Um, and so I think that sense of um, that detachment of material goods and reliance on God is really needed in this world today. Mm-hmm. And the simplicity you know, to keep God as a priority, um, to keep that prayer life, that intimacy going with God so that you are fed and nourished in your life as a Catholic, as a secular Franciscan, or whoever you are. Mm 
whoever you are. Yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned earlier that you were going to share with us you, you, the words you used were spousal relationship. Um, uh, what was that? What, what did you want to share about that? I interrupted you all kinds of times. But okay. What did you want to share about that? If you um, read some of St. Claire's letters, um, when we don't have anything else except those and her rule of her way of life or rule of life um, that she actually wrote. Um, but they're beautiful. And let me give you a little um, snippet of it. Draw me after you. Let us run in the fragrance of your perfumes, O heavenly spouse. I will run and not tire until you bring me into the wine cellar, until your left hand is under my head and your right hand will embrace me happily. You will kiss me with the happiest kiss of your mouth. Place your mind before the mirror of eternity. Place your soul in the brilliance of glory. Place your heart in the figure of divine substance. Hmm. Those are some of the, um, the words. And medieval, it was pretty common in medieval society to refer to in a very um, spousal marital kind of way, almost like in the Song of Songs. Right, that's what I was just thinking of. It's very, you know, you could see Claire just take pulling out of that. Um, You know, there's a saying too from St. Francis that I think I um, always think of. And it says, um, where is it? Oh, can't find it now. Can't find it. That, you never can um, find things when you're looking for them. Of course, yeah. Um, that we are brothers mm-hmm. of God, of this, of Jesus. We are spouses, and we are daughters and sons because we are family. Um, and so, uh. That whole idea of family comes forth in our communities and fraternities in the secular Franciscan order and in the church as well. Church. Because um, we have the common father mm-hmm. of all creation. So, uh, Francine, if somebody wanted to delve more deeply into the life of Claire and the writings of, of Claire, where, where would you suggest they go to find that kind of information? Well, um, there is um, a very contemporary um, person, um, Brett Tolman, who um, has written a life of Claire of Assisi uh, called St. Claire of Assisi, Light from the Cloister. Um, and he has taken a lot of the most recent um, research done on St. Clair and has brought it into um, more of a, a storytelling mode. Okay, but um, so it's, it's readable, um, but it's backed with a lot of footnotes if you go to the <laughs> end notes of the chapter. Um, 
you know, it, it's very up to date at this point in time. Um, the other classic that I love that gives you a sense of St. Clair is uh, A Light in the Garden by Marie Bodo. Um, it gives you more of a sense of her spirituality and what she might have been thinking. And Marie Bodo, very poetic type of writer. So, if, and it's shorter, it's much shorter um, than that. Um, and that's just the beginning of it. So you can, <laughs> you can go on there. Um, I mean, there's text, there's early document books, there's, um, you can get a sense from Ilio Delio's book on Franciscan prayer um, mm -hmm. uh, about her, uh, her way of contemplation. So um, there's lots of them available. Great. Um, so Francine, this has been enlightening. Can I say it that way? Um, lots of things that, uh, that I didn't know. Um, mm -hmm. And I think for our, our listeners, a lot of things that gives them some, maybe some food for thought um, as to, as to what they're, they're thinking of uh, and what they're thinking about. Uh, so I want to, before I formally thank you, I want to thank you for, for sharing all that, but I have a little uh, notice, I guess it is for all my listeners. And, um, th and that is that so far, um, as you've listened to the new um, parts of the, um, of the podcast, you hear people talk, you've heard people talking about how the secular Franciscans are hidden somewhere that nobody knows where they are. Nobody knows who they are. So, you know, I, I offer a challenge, I guess, to the secular Franciscans who are listening to this podcast to send me a note, send me an email. I'd love to have you on. You don't have to be an expert, you know, or anything like that. I, you know, I, I really, truly am looking for people who are living Franciscan life. Um, because I think it's important and I think it's a, a, an important thing for us to, to know and to, to think about. So if you're out there, give me a note or something. Let me know you're, you're there and willing to talk just for a little bit about who you are and what you do. You don't have to be an expert in anything, just how are you living your life? So I'll, that's my end of my service announcement. So, <laughs> so Francine, Thank you so very much for being with us today. Um, I think our audience learned a lot. My pleasure. Um, I love St. Clair and she's a hidden gem, especially her, her way of contemplation. Um, it's something that a lot of people don't, are not aware of. And I right. wish to get that word out. Okay, great. Uh, thank you so much again, Francine. No problem. Thank you. Companions on the journey, breaking bread and sharing Well, the music means that our time together is at an end for now. I thank you for walking with me today. It's been a great blessing. Please visit my website for information about this and other episodes of the podcast, as well as additional information on how to contact me. It can be found at OurWalkTogether.com. And please, invite your friends to listen as well. And so, until we journey again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and give you his peace. <laughs>